Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Good morning, everybody. It's, uh, hi. Oh, Mark. <laughs> He's out of his box. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, great to be here. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jo, and I'm, yeah, part of the leadership team here and have the privilege of uh, running the Debt Centre as well, which is amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's... It, it's fantastic for me this morning to be able to speak to you about um, just a little bit in the book of James, actually. And the title for this morning is Live It. Um, now, I'm not here to tell anybody here how to live it, okay? Um, I feel really passionate about us all living it together. Um, hands up, any of you here that find it easy living it? That's a shame, actually, because if anyone had put their hand out, I was going to say, right, you come and do the talk. <laughs> okay, I'll carry on then. It isn't easy um, living it. It's not actually easy living life, is it? Um, but living in the way that we are called to live. And as we are growing as disciples, as we are Christians who are on a journey and who are looking to become more Christ-like, I think the challenges that are contained within that are even uh, harder at times. But I also think it's really exciting. And um, I, love, I love the church. I love the local church. I love what God does through the church. And I love what God does through individuals that make up the church. Because what I see is I see people being prepared to go the extra mile. People who are prepared to make sacrifices. People who are prepared to love and to show God's grace. And that is beautiful. When you see that happening, it is beautiful. And, and that's what I see uh, by being part of this church here. So I'm not here to tell anyone how to live it this morning. James does a pretty good job of that. Um, and, and he's not um, backwards in coming forwards in, in what he says about how we should be living it. But I want us this morning to really be about encouraging one another, actually, as we try and work out how we live it, um, and as we try and work out what that actually means for us, not just as individuals in this church, um, but as members of the wider church, of God's church, but also as people who are part of Freedom Church here in Romsey as well. It's funny, isn't it? When you say to people that you're a Christian or when people know you're a Christian, sometimes if they're not Christians themselves or they're outside the church, they have a very particular idea about the way that you should behave. And I've always made it my mission to not be that Christian that behaves in the way that other people expect me to behave rightly or wrongly. But we had a funny thing happen on Wednesday in the food bank. And um, one, uh, Amber, who works in the CAP Centre, had a meeting with someone. And she made a coffee. She made two cafetiers of coffee and brought them through into the office. And as she walked through the food bank, uh, where the food bank is open, one of the volunteers, who isn't part of the church here, went, well, that's not very Christian. <laughs> and Amber was just like... <laughs> Uh, okay, but she was referring to the fact that Amber got both the cafetiers and was taking them through into the office. And it sort of flummoxed her, really, and she wasn't really sure what to say in response to that. But it's funny, isn't it? Because sometimes people have this idea about how Christians should behave and how Christians should live it. 
As I say, I love the local church. I've grown up in the local church. My parents were ministers. My my dad ran the church when I was young. And that was my life, really, as I was growing up, was being a pastor's daughter and trying to prove everyone wrong about what that actually should look like. So Maisie in the post office used to get a little irate when I was in the pub at 14 and things like that and go and tell my parents about it. You know, tittle-tattle, tittle-tattle, you know. But that was how we lived. We lived as... And my mum and dad were incredible people, and um, they really did live it. And the way that they lived it was quite simple, really. They showed loving kindness to those around them. And my dad still does, although he has his challenges now. But it's, it was a beautiful thing. And people who knew my parents, and we, we always had randomers living in our house and in our caravan, and we had um, a, a, a tramp that lived in our shed. Uh, he could have come indoors, but he didn't want to. Um, but we, and thankfully, and he was allergic to showering, so we were grateful <laughs> for that. But, you know, we always had people, we had these people around us. They, my mum and dad were incredible at, at just um, opening their home and showing loving kindness. And I think very often what James is talking about, when we're thinking about living it, it is about us being prepared to live it differently and being prepared to show that loving kindness. And that isn't a weak thing. Loving kindness isn't a weak thing. That costs something. So we're thinking about discipleship um, through this series. Uh, discipleship is really how do we grow as Christians? How do we, how do we become more Christ-like? So I want you to ask yourselves this morning, how am I becoming more Christ-like? How in my life am I becoming more Christ-like? How am I challenging myself to become more Christ-like in the day-to-day? And I'm not going to come up with any answers today. Um, can we, have you got the video? Thank you. So I just want to show you this, um, this short video um, as, we, as we start this morning. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. All right, most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. (laughs) My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. 
<laughs> Challenging stuff, huh? So, let's just do it, okay? Let's, let's get this idea that, yeah, I'm standing here and I'm going to talk to you about living it this morning. But actually, you know, because it's in, contained within the verses of Scripture, what it is we need to be doing. We don't need a Bible study about it, we just need to be doing it. And that's the exciting thing, and that's how our faith grows, and that's how we grow, because we're, we're rubbing up against the, the, uh, the difficulties and the, the challenges and the, the tough situations that we find ourselves in, and that's when we have to fall back on nothing more than God's grace in our lives, and nothing more than Him and His Holy Spirit working through through us, because often we don't know what the answers are. Often we don't know what we should be doing next. So live it. Live what? The book of James is infamous, isn't it, for its doing nature. He's a doer. And as I think Sim said last week, his, his book has been described as kind of like a series of tweets almost. It's not a beautifully written letter. It's, it's kind of like a series of one-liners. He's trying to get mobilized the, the Christians into actually doing something, into not just professing their faith, not just saying, yeah, yeah, I, I, I've heard about Jesus, I saw Jesus, I, I, I heard him speak, and that was great. He's trying to get them to actually put that into action. For James, evidence of someone's authority Orthodoxy, right confession, is his or her orthopraxy, right practice. He looks beyond the profession to the practice of faith. So, James 2 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Strong words, aren't they? Strong words. So what is it that we're called to put into practice well, I think, it, as I said earlier, as, as I talked about sort of the example of my own parents, really, I think it's about love, compassion, and kindness. But I think it's about an attitude of our heart that challenges each and every one of us to have our eyes open to the needs and our hands willing to serve those who are in need around us. And I think as well that we are challenged here, and hear me right, to put our own prejudices, our own opinions, and our own assumptions to one side for the sake of simply serving and making a difference in our communities. I think the fact that we have those things often is a luxury, and I think actually we're just told to go do, go do, and make disciples. And so those things shouldn't be stopping us from getting involved. I'm reading an amazing book at the moment called Grenfell Hope, which was written by um, the, the wife of, well, the, the vicar in um, Kensington, where they, and they live right opposite where the tower is and, and where it, it burnt. And um, it's, it's an incredible story. It's really stirring me up, actually, this book. 
partly because what you're seeing through the story of this, this lady who's written it, um, she just wanted to get it down on paper because actually what happened after the fire happened or during the, the fire was the church just, just getting involved and getting stuck in and meeting the needs. And it was a really beautiful thing that happened. Um, but it wasn't just the church. It was, it was Muslims as well. It was interfaith. And, and it was just, she said, it was just an incredible expression of God's love in that community at that time. So we didn't do anything major. We just made tea. We we sorted out the you know we clothed the um, the the people and we 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 fed the hungry. And it's a, it is beautiful and it, and it says so much I think about what the church can be and is actually in our in our communities. But there's one quote here from the Bishop of Kensington. He was involved as well. So he was asked in response, "Can you see anything hopeful about this situation?" And he said this, I think in the first few days after the fire, we saw a little glimpse of of what London and our wider community could be like. People were doing everything they could to try and help. Too often, our life together is marked by competition, fear, and self-centeredness. But for a few days, we suddenly saw a community that was centred on helping each other. And that gives us a little bit of hope for the future. I think that's beautiful. I love it. Too often, and I think it's so true, our lives together are marked by competition, fear, and self-centeredness. And that's not just within the church. That's in life, isn't it? There's, there's a lot of pressure. And actually, that simple act of helping gives us hope for the future. I think what James is challenging us to do here is to actually live lives that cost us something. I think he's challenging us to live a life that costs me something. He says earlier, religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And as we've read earlier, James 2 makes it clear that faith without works is dead. Listen, as Christians, we know... If we're a Christian, we know that we're only able to enter into that relationship with God because of the sacrifice Jesus made. Because actually, what, was, what God created was good, and it got a bit sour, and then Jesus came, and he made it good again. We know that, that we can be in relationship with God because of Jesus' sacrifice, So as we live our life, we have a responsibility to live it in a way that is honouring to God, that demonstrates our love for him and our love for our neighbour, just as he did. And look, we may not be called to die for our faith, but many people do. We may not be called to be the next Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, but we are all created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, as Ephesians 2.10 tells us. I, as you know, part of CAP, and we had a conference in September um, 
And John Kirkby, who started CAP, was speaking at it. He's the founder. And he is just generally an all-round legend um, and really, really brilliant to listen to. So I would encourage you just to, to, you know, to listen to him speaking at some point. But he, I went to a leadership seminar that he was doing, and he um, stood there in front of... There weren't many of us there, but stood there in front of us there. And he said, you know what? He said, I don't want to do half of what I'm called to do in my role as the founder of CAP. He said, I am, I am tired. I'm tired of asking. I'm tired of asking for money. All the time I'm having to ask for money because we're a charity and it's hard. He said, I don't want to travel. I don't want to have to keep traveling. I don't want to leave my family anymore. I've been doing it for years. I'm tired. He said, but I do it because I know whom I serve and he's called me to do it. And I just sat there and I thought, wow, wow, that honesty, that vulnerability, it's a buzzword, isn't it? But that honesty in saying, actually, I really don't want to do a lot of what I'm called to do. It really resonated with me because there were times where I don't want to do what actually God has called me to do. And I'm sure there are times when you don't want to do what you know God's called you to do. And sometimes I translate that feeling of not wanting to do it as, maybe then I don't have to do it. Maybe it's not the right thing for now. Maybe that means I can move on to something else. But actually what that challenged me was that sometimes the, the mantle that we're carrying, the cross that we have to bear, is just tough. But there are so many blessings contained within it. And when we do, when we do step out, and when we do say, okay, God, I will persevere, I will keep going with this, I will do that again, I will go, God's going to bless us in that, and he's going to help us to make a difference. And we will see his Holy Spirit at work. Living lives that cost us something presupposes a level of sacrifice, doesn't it? If we're actually going to live lives that cost us something, that means we're going to have to sacrifice something. And I think when we think of sacrifice, sometimes it can be easy to think of sacrifice as, you know, sort of like slaughtering an animal. Well, I don't know how easy it is to think of that, actually. But, you know, when we think about it in biblical terms, that's, that's what we think about. Or, or we think about Christ sacrificing his life for, for us, don't we? I think for the purposes of this context, in terms of how do we live it, um, it's better for us to think about sacrifice as a verb. To give up something valued for the sake of other considerations. To give up something valued for the sake of other considerations. And the challenge here is that what's sacrifice for me isn't necessarily a sacrifice for you and vice versa. But the point is, we're prepared to make it because we know who we serve and we choose to follow. So your sacrifice may be quite different to my sacrifice, but I don't believe there's a hierarchy of sacrifice. I think it's about an attitude of heart. I think it's about being prepared to go and to do and to put our faith into action. So for me... For example, one sacrifice is sharing my time, my family, my husband, my home with a child who is essentially a stranger to me, a child that I have no history with. That's my sacrifice. 
But I know that that's not, I'm not saying that to make anyone feel sorry for me. I don't find that easy. Hands up. But I know that God has called me to do that, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability with the help and support of my friends and family and this church. It's not necessarily easy, but what is your sacrifice? What is it God's calling you to sacrifice in order to make a difference? So for you, the sacrifice will be something quite different, but the point is being prepared to make it and being obedient to God in whatever it is he's calling us to do. He wants us to be hearing, knowing, and doing, not just hearing. Charlie Baxter, I don't know if she's here today, she did one of our 10 talks at the conference. Now, if you missed the 10 talks at the conference, they're on the, po- they're on the website, listen to them, they're brilliant. Um, Charlie did one of our 10 talks at the conference, and she spoke of being called by God to change career if she was, in, uh, she was a cabin crew member, and now she's being called to be a teacher. And I don't know what her expectations were around that particularly, but sometimes I think when we're called, when we feel God's very specifically calling us into something else, we think it's going to be really exciting and whiz-bang and great, don't we? Actually, she was really honest, and she said she finds it really, really hard. And that, again, really spoke to me. But she said, it's very clear that this is where God wants me to be right here, right now. It's about obedience, and this is what God's calling off me. And it's not easy But that's her sacrifice, right here, right now, being prepared to hear God's voice and to follow and to do. She recognises that God wants to use her in that profession, and she is prepared to obey his call. That's not easy. But it's not a competition. It's about an attitude of our hearts. And that's the constant challenge of discipleship, isn't it? And I think we won't grow. We don't grow unless we stand on the edge and we feel like we're going to tip off. But God's there, so we're putting our trust fully in him. We're not going to grow as Christians if we just come to church on Sunday and listen to someone wittering away for half an hour. I agree with Alan, it should be more like 20 minutes, but it's half an hour. We're not going to grow. We're not going to grow if we just go to connect groups, but we should all go to connect groups. That's my message. We all need to be in connect groups. But we're not going to grow by just going along and talking about the Bible, as Francis Chan so beautifully illustrated. We're only going to grow by standing on the edge, looking up, and letting God catch us and take us on that next stage of the journey by doing. That's how we're going to grow. We need to be serving others. We do. It's a mandate. There's no question about that. We need to be serving others. We need to be meeting the needs of the widows and the orphans. But this will often challenge us to give up something of our own, whether that be our time, our talents, our tithe, whatever it is, there will be a sacrifice. But that is absolutely at the heart of what the gospel is about, isn't it? It's the very heart of it. And it's inevitable that if we're really living it, we will have to really sacrifice it too. Live it then. Live how? Well, as I said, our conference provided a beautiful insight into how people in this church are trying to make sense of living it uh, in their workplaces. 
how they're serving and sacrificing, giving and praying. And I, I did really find it inspiring. So I thought I'm going to just, I listened to them all again. So sorry if you were one of the 10 talkers, but I've just lifted stuff as it's on the podcast. I didn't ask for your permission because it's there anyway, so everyone can hear it. So Amanda Jones, the fantastic Amanda Jones, who I can see in the back there, nurse and foot practitioner. She talked about us being like bees pollinating the flowers, that we carry the Holy Spirit wherever we go. Do you know that? Do you know that you carry the Holy Spirit wherever you go? Do you know that? Yes. Every situation you walk into, tomorrow morning, this afternoon, as you're watching Strictly Tonight... You're carrying the Holy Spirit. It won't make any difference to the results, though, I'm afraid. (laughs) So we're carrying the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go, to all the people we meet. And she really believes, and she knows that that makes a difference. She is serving people through that. Sarah Lodge talked about how God was really challenging her to see her team through his eyes that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, and therefore she needs to love them in the same way that God loves them. Sarah is a paediatric doctor at Southampton General Hospital. Don't know if she's here today, can't see her. But she looks after, she has 36 babies, you know, in the neonatal unit that she is responsible for. Incredible story of how she really is trying to live it in her work situation. She also spoke of her constant prayers that God will enable her to make good and right decisions for those babies. Frank, and I have seen Frank this morning somewhere. (laughs) Always out there. Frank, Frank, if you're on the screen. Uh, Frank, firefighter and team leader, talked about seeing people not as problems to be solved or fixed, but people to be loved and lived alongside. He spoke about the challenge of being fully present with people when he's helping them and how he tries to do that through listening and loving. Amanda, Amanda, she's out there too, our HMRC inspector, makes a conscious effort to treat everyone she meets with care and kindness. She talked about planting seeds into people's lives by showing that kindness and compassion. And then how she prays, prays that those seeds fall onto good soil and not all onto stony soil. She said that her faith now leads her to believe the unexpected, to expect the unexpected every single day as she walks with God. And Alan, Alan who works for the BBC, we won't say any more than that, spoke of his passion for integrity and how important this is within the workplace. How important it is to ask questions and to live in the tension of life's uncertainties with hope. His faith demands that he lives a life of integrity. Absolutely brilliant. Gold, these are. Angus, HR director, spoke about the power of the church being out there in the community. So yes, we're gathered here today. That's great. But we're not gathered here for the sake of being here, are we? We're gathered here so that we go do in in our Monday mornings. Yeah, wherever we are. We're gathered here so that you are encouraged to go that you are encouraged to do. You are encouraged to to take the Holy Spirit into those Monday morning situations, into all those interactions. Absolutely brilliant. He said even in the most difficult situations, he has confidence that God will use him to bring goodness and hope into the lives of those he's working with. And then Joe, 
our food bank manager and general all-round superstar, how important it is that she grows her teams, that wherever she's working, the skills that God's given her, she feels compelled to pass on and to help and uh, grow her teams and the people that are working alongside her. Always looking outwards, always looking for what is the next thing God's calling her to do. Essentially, a lot of these examples, what they're showing us is this loving kindness, which is an essential characteristic of love that we read in 1 Corinthians 13. This is, it's powerful and essential if we are going to be true livers of this. So I want you to be encouraged, actually, this morning. Be encouraged, church, that we are working it out, aren't we? We're working out how to live it. And this is the thing. It's an ongoing project. I'm an ongoing project. You're an ongoing project. We're working it out, but we're working it out together. It is a tough call, I think, what we're called to. It is a tough call, and it will always be a challenge. And James isn't lightweight in his expectations of a disciple. But we do have an obligation to care for those in need, whoever we are and wherever we find ourselves. But then how important it is that we encourage one another frequently and also challenge one another frequently in that walk. Nikki Gumbel says this, You're never more like God than when you're helping hurting people, lifting up the fallen and restoring the broken. All of those people that I talked about earlier, just a random selection really of of people within our church family, are involved in one way or another doing that. And there will be other stories. I'm sure you all are thinking about this on a weekly, daily basis. Perhaps the challenge then is about always thinking how. How can I live this life of faith at a deeper level? How can I give more? How am I sacrificing for the sake of others? How am I becoming more Christ-like? And the final point on the how question is that that Sarah Lodge actually spoke about in her 10 talk. She said, I have to think, how do I look after myself so that I'm approachable at any time of the night? She does a lot of night shifts. She's got a very responsible job. It's understandable. But how do I look after myself? And I thought that's really important, actually, because that's part of the discipleship journey, that actually we must take responsibility to look after ourselves. We must be praying. We must be reading God's word. I know these are all musts, and forgive me if I'm sounding a bit like, but we must. I'm telling myself, it's so important. If we're going to live it, this is what we need to do. We need to deepen our knowledge and understanding of Christ in our lives. We need to relax. We need to eat well. We need to exercise. We need to look after body, mind, and soul so that we can live life in its fullness and then pass that on to those around us. Because, do you know what? Neglecting ourselves is no good for anyone. And neglecting ourselves at the expense of others is no good for anyone either and actually could end up just rendering us a little bit useless in God's kingdom, in building that kingdom, if we're neglecting ourselves. When we were doing our fostering training, we were told categorically that our children are our responsibility. Now, I don't know whether they sort of worried that we were going to try and, you know, palm them off, but we weren't. But we were told that they're our priority. Um, And if our children suffer as a result of fostering, then we need to stop. 
And we had to do that. It wasn't easy. We had to stop a placement because it was destroying our home. It didn't feel good on many levels. But we had to take care of ourselves and our children so that we could then take care of other children in the future and other people's children. And thirdly and lastly then, live it, live why. It isn't just the book of James that that challenges us to live lives in service to others. Jesus also talks about this in the parable of the sheep and the goats, and I'd encourage you to go and read that later, Matthew 25. And in Isaiah, which is way back in the Old Testament, Isaiah had a prophecy from from God, God's words in Isaiah 58, making it very clear what God demands of his people. We're going to read that. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. Isn't that amazing? The Lord will guide you always. Strengthen, sat, he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, as like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people we will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets with dwellings. How amazing. I would love it if this church is known as a repairer of broken walls and a restorer of the streets with dwellings. I'd love it if we, through um, doing this stuff, by really putting ourselves on the edge, by really taking risks, by really kind of like doing as well as hearing, are seeing just amazing ways in which God is breaking in and transforming our lives as well as the lives of those around us. We'll have exciting stories to tell. It's a clear mandate. And as we saw earlier, we don't need a Bible study really in order to tell us what we should be doing. We just need to ensure we're doing it. So as followers of Jesus, our daily prayer should, should be to become more like him, shouldn't it? As we grow in our faith and understanding of what re- it really means to be a follower of Jesus, I think we realize then that our faith demands something of us, don't we? That our faith demands something of us. James was clear in his writing that in order to see the good news come to life, we have to be prepared to sacrifice, to work hard, and to live differently. And that way is in a way that shows God's unconditional love to all. So, live what? A life that costs us something. Live how? 
with the encouragement and support of one another. We need each other. We need each other on this journey. We need our hearts to be open to feel, feel God's love for the lost, the poor, and the most vulnerable in our communities. We need our hands to be open to serve. And we need to have our ears open to listen and hear that still, small voice every single day in all our interactions, wherever we find ourselves. And live why? To share his love, to pollinate the flowers, to give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to work through us and not just live in us. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. Let's give him the opportunity to work through us. To make a difference in the world and to see transformation. To live life in all its fullness and offer others the opportunity to do that too. It is exciting, this ride that we're on. It's difficult, it's challenging, but it's also exciting. But we do need one another. We're not in a competition. We're just about having the right attitude of heart and mind. And as James said, not walking past, but actually doing, hearing and doing. Eugene Peterson, um, the author that died this week, who wrote, that famously, most famously wrote The Message, um, or, you know, The Message Translation, not translation, you know what I mean. Um, he died this week, and I was reading some stuff about him. Uh, he said this, he said uh, he was interviewed, and um, the guy that was interviewing him was a sort of family friend and just asked him, um, about his money and things like that. And, and he lived a really simple life, actually, despite the fact that he was probably a very wealthy man. He, he lived a very simple life. And this was his prayer, he said. He prayed this prayer with a friend just a couple of months ago. Father, help Jan and I to take what's left with us and to share it with those around us. Help us give it all away. And, the, and the, the guy that interviewed him said this, of all that I've learned from Eugene and Jan Peterson over the years, maybe that's the thing that will stick with me the most, that true life is found as we become like Jesus, as we spend our lives giving it all away. That's living it. I pray that God will help me with that because that's a tough call. So I ask you this morning, and I just would like us to spend a couple of minutes just silently, and the band can come up um, as well if you like, but just silently um, asking yourself or thinking about this question, what does your faith demand of you? Talk to God about it. Let him encourage you in what you are doing and let him challenge you into what's next. What does your faith demand of you? For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.